0: In the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, O God, Amen. We're gonna start with chapter four. Still, almost there to the last chapter. So, uh, hopefully, if I'm not too optimistic, we should come close to the end of chapter four today. And uh, I'm fairly confident next week we'll start chapter five. Okay? When, even if we don't finish chapter four, we'll get to the to the. To the end. So we'll start with chapter uh, 4, verse 7 to 11. So if anybody could read for us, verses 7 to 11, please.
1: I have the New Life version, is that okay? Yeah, go okay. for it. <laughs>
0: 7
1: to 11? Yes. Okay. Dear friends, let us love each other, because love comes from God. Those who love are God's children, and they know God. Those who do not love do not know God because God is love. God has shown his love to us by sending his only son into the world. God did this so we might have life through Christ. This is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us. For God sent his son to pay for our sins with his own blood. Dear friends, if God loved us that much, then we should love each other.
0: Okay, take a moment to read that again, quickly to yourself, and then we'll discuss it. All right, what do you guys think? Anything just jumps out at you from that passage? Before I share my thoughts? Without God, there is no love. Without God, there is no love. Okay. So, this, this is like a, a central doctrine in Christianity that even if someone is not Christian uh, if he belongs to a different religion or is completely atheist if love is present it is only through the presence of God because without God there is no love so there is only God that produces love even in the soul that's not conscious of it because all goodness comes from him So all love comes from him. If there is love, it is a product of God's work in that person. Regardless of the person's affiliation. Regardless of the situation. Regardless of the place or time. If love is happening, it is the work of his spirit. And he works in all people. What
2: else? We only know love because he loved us first. Like we can't.
0: We wouldn't know love otherwise. So, this pops out again later in a few verses. in, In verse 19, he says, we love him because he loved us first. But, he's already starting to allude to that in verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but what? He loved us. So, that is the, the essence of love is his manifestation. The essence of love is his revelation. Um, and he loved us in what way? What's he specify here? Propitiation for our sins. Being the propitiation for our sins, in that he came, yeah. okay. that he sent his only son, his son, that he himself came to be the propitiation. For our sins. I know that's a big word. The propitiation. What what does that mean? What does that propitiation for our sins mean? He is
3: uh, being offered as a sacrifice to God, basically.
0: Come on. Being offered as a sacrifice on behalf of So what does it mean to pro- propitiate?
3: You mean you're it's like you're trying to appease God?
0: You are appease you satisfy or you wipe away you basically like cancel out so being the propitiation for our sins is being the exchange for our sins, the one who covers our sins so in this way is the essence of his love manifested it is the essence of love itself that he loved us and, and what is the center of his love for us it is in that he sent his son to cover our sins to wipe away our sins and that way he becomes a propitiation. okay now in the very start of that passage it says love is from God and, and that's what Stood out to Jack first. So I want to continue to meditate a little bit more on that. Saint Andreas says, What does it mean to say that love is from God? So he's asking that question. What does it mean to say that love is from God? Surely this refers to the man who came from God, who was revealed according to the image and likeness of the one who made him. For when this man appeared this man obviously being Christ he was revealed as the beloved and was worthy of being loved Now since the Savior has been sent into the world because of the Father's great love for the things which he has made those who have received this blessing and who are thus beloved ought to love one another for each one of us is loved and is called to love having the command that we should love our neighbor so in the same way that God loved us through sending his son we love one another in, in our interactions and um, in fulfilling the command to love our neighbor okay? so again everything is always revealed through the son the revelation of God's love is Christ himself Um, the essence of what we know comes through the revelation of Christ like when Philip asked Christ to show us the Father he said have you been with me so long and he still asked to show us the Father have have you not seen me? he who has seen me has seen the Father and so it is in knowing Christ that we know the Father and the love that the Father has loved us with and this this was uh, the center of Christ's prayer in Gethsemane um, that we may know the love of God the Father. So if you just read through John 17, it's, it's centered in, in Christ's prayer for us to know the love of the Father. And he says, Glorify your Son, that, that they may know you and the one whom you have sent. So he wants us to know the love of God the Father. This is why he came. To reveal the love of God the Father to us. Question. Hmm. Can one love
2: God through loving others first? Or do I have to know God to love others first?
0: Hmm.
4: What do you guys think? Um, people love each other without knowing God all the time. So I don't think it's a requirement for someone to know God to be able to love someone. Different kind of love, bro. Yeah.
0: Okay, I I totally agree. Well, what else you guys would add to that?
3: But that's not the question, though, right?
0: Well, no, it's. I get you
2: could. You I, you could obviously love others without necessarily knowing that people will yeah. do. But I feel like if you go back to the first, like very beginning when we established the different types of love. Yeah. I feel like you don't know the essence of love if you don't. Know, you might love a person. But like, does that love like, endure all things, hope so? Like, hmm. Is that the type of love that you someone could get without knowing God? Hmm. That's more of I guess, my question. I, don't know.
0: I see exactly what you're asking. Can can we love with the same love of God if we do not know God? Yeah, that's yes, what you're asking. Right, like if you were to take
2: First Corinthians 13, that's God's love for us, yes. right? Can we love to
0: extent if we don't know God? You guys
3: have anything to add to that? Hmm. It's like um, when the Apostle Paul said that there were those who were a law unto themselves, hmm. that like, without knowing the law, without knowing that this was God's love, we're actually exemplifying God's love, but then it kind of goes back to the same thing, like it being the presence of God in the creation of them being in His image and His likeness, Without the realization that that's what it is, mm-hmm. it could still be there, but it's not the realization of it. But then it's not, at least the way I see it, it's not going to be its ultimate perfection of it. Like it will yes. always still fall short.
0: And that, and that's it right there. So you nailed it in that last statement. I think the ultimate reflection of God's love only comes through the authentic understanding of love, and so we can. To one degree or another, love others without knowing God because like we said in the beginning, God's always working through us and anytime there is any goodness or love, it is the product of God's work. But for us to know the perfection of love and to really act in the same divine love by which God loved us it only comes through our understanding of, of that, that, that love, that divine love. And so I think my personal conviction is it will always be limited until we understand the cross. Once you understand the love of the cross, I think our own love takes a completely different level. And so yes, there may the others that love each other sacrificially and love each other uh, unconditionally but I think in in its fulfillment and in, in its perfection it only comes through our knowledge of Christ because we have to remember that it is only possible to love like Christ through who through Christ so if I don't know him and he's not working in me how can I love like him? does that make sense?
4: it does make sense but I don't know if I completely agree and I don't know if it's time for debate. So
0: no it's definitely time love it's definitely time share your thoughts
4: um, I think Putting a cap on how humans can love each other, if they don't really know the love of the cross, is not entirely accurate because people have had other people sacrifice themselves, like like physically putting themselves and and uh, like like endangering their lives into death on behalf of other people, and that this is kind of what the cross is like laying your. Jesus laid his life down for all of us and people do lay, lay their lives down for other people and I think that you don't need, like I agree with the point that it's to perfection, like you would never understand the perfection of love uh, if you don't understand the love on the cross, having said that I don't think we are capable of being perfect in our love so at this point it becomes a technicality really whether like, like the question doesn't become Are we physically capable Of loving each other without knowing God It just becomes a technicality If you're trying well, to achieve well, can, perfection
0: Can you Are you incapable of loving like Christ Are you saying I don't think we're us human be- beings
4: Are capable of That perfect love, no if, if we're I don't know, it's my personal belief That you could try to be close to it But you probably wouldn't be able to achieve that perfection of love. This is why I feel like you don't have to know. If, if that's the case,
0: we would be worshipping an unfair God. Because He commands us and says that you ought to love one another as I have loved you. So the new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have that. That two-letter word is the most significant word of that verse. And if we're incapable of accomplishing that, why would he command us to do something we're incapable of? So it's it's our orthodox conviction that with every command comes the grace to fulfill it. And that's why fulfilling the command is not a product of our own effort. That's why St. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can love like Christ, through Christ and that's why I, I am convinced that we cannot love like Christ unless we know Christ and he's the one working in us and yes we can reflect his love to some degree or another without knowing him and, and we see that in the world uh, you might see that uh, in wars people lay their life down even for their country and they don't necessarily know Christ they may not be Christian and so, I agree that that sort of love might be there. But for that love to be perfected, the love that, that endures all things, hopes all things, the love that never fails, is divine. There's no question about it. The perfect love is divine love, and divine love cannot happen except through the divine one. Because, because of our own limitations, because our own... Um, pride and selfishness. So that gets in the way of loving like God. And so unless we know Him and He's working in us, how can I
4: follow in His footsteps and love like Him? I don't think there's a disagreement there. I I fully agree that in order for you to pursue that divine love, you have to know the source and where it comes from. Having said that, do we know any... um, Saints or biblical figures who were able to have that divine perfect love? Oh, yes. And we don't know anyone who never believed in God who had the same kind of love. uh, Many,
0: and Christ foretold of that fact. And he said, Greater works than these you will do. Because he knew that there will come those who are so humble that they have emptied themselves and have embraced his spirit to work in them and will follow in his footsteps and heal the sick and raise the dead to the extent that he said greater works than these you will do and even greater than what Christ did because there's nothing great about God who's the source of life healing the sick or raising the dead but for a creature to give life to heal the sick, to raise the dead. For, for a creature to resurrect the soul of a depressed person, that's great. But for God, it's natural. It's unnatural for a creature to give life. And so, that's why he said, it, it is greater what you will do. Um, we, we, we look back at all the stories of the saints and we see that Exemplified. We see people loving in ways that we could not imagine. Um, I would invite you to read the so- story of Saint Arsenius, the Russian prisoner. It's a, it's, it's a nice little thick book, but he's a, he's a prison, prisoner in uh, the Russian camps. Um, and to make a long story short, I mean, he went through hell. Like, worse than anything you can imagine, and the love that was still on fire in his heart transformed everyone in the prison camps. Even the people who were uh, abusing him, even the, the, the guards were transformed by his love. There are things that you can't possibly imagine happening through God. So, so when, when we think about loving one another because he says here just just as God loved us we also ought to love one another verse 11 so by what standard do we measure that when, when, when you think of that commandment the very next thing that naturally follows Okay, how so? How should I love others? What's our standard? Christ himself. Perfect. It's just Christ himself. In as I am as in Christ and he is in me, his love is working in me. Okay, so St. Saint, Saint Ecumenius says, the love we show to one another ought to be like the love which God has shown to us I mean by that it should be sincere and pure without ulterior motives that's our standard the standard that it requires nothing in return no other motives not what are you going to do for me not how does it benefit me not what's in it for me nothing about me because God's love is centered not in what's in it for him, but what was in it for us. There was nothing but inconvenience that came out of his love for us. He gained nothing. He gained nothing in creating us or saving us. And uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Now and until the day I die, the people that say God loves So much that he couldn't contain his love and he just needed to create others so that he can share his love with them is one of the worst heresies in the world. Because God did not need to create anything to share his love. For God to have needed to create someone to share his love would imply an imperfection in him, it is to imply that he is lacking. It is to imply that there's a need in God. There's a need in us, but not in God. a married couple needs to satisfy that longing for love by having children so they have a child so that they can love the child and have a relationship with the child not God God did not need to create anyone as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit He is complete in and of Himself the fellowship of the Trinity is complete He did not need to create and because He did not need to create he knew that creating would cost. And so if he created, that means he knew that it would cost his own life. And so that by definition is altruism. <laughs> that by definition is, is unselfish love. And that's the type of love that we have to reflect. And if we're ever asking what's in it for me, then a little flag has to pop up in our mind. Whenever I'm I'm helping someone, I'm sharing my time or my money, whenever I forgive someone and I ask what's in it for me, that's, that's a big warning sign. We should never ask what's in it for me. Now, we can ask what's the best way to love because love should be guided by wisdom but it's never guided by satisfying myself. And whenever it satisfies myself, again, there's got to be a little warning that pops up in my mind. Anything you guys want to add there? Alright, so I, I can't help but reflect on one of the most significant verses in the entire Bible. So in verse 8 he says the, the most famous three words God is love. God is love. So we gotta just pause there and reflect a little bit. St. John, uh, sorry, St. Saint, Saint Augustine says love is so much the gift of God that it is called God God is love and that gift is so much the gift of God itself that love itself is called God love is is the reflection of God it is the reflection of who he is So, if we go back to uh, Corinthians 13, you're going to see all of the qualities of love. And you can literally replace the word love with God in every single phrase. And it is perfect theology. Where you see um, love endures all things, God endures all things. Love hopes. God. Love never fails. God never fails. Everything is a reflection of God Himself. God is, is unchangeable. So His love for us is unchangeable. There's nothing you can do to affect His love. You can never increase His love for you by your faithfulness. Nor can you decrease his love for you by your sinfulness. Nothing you can do to increase it or decrease it. There's nothing you could do to earn it or lose it. His His love is eternal. And Saint Isaac the Syrian meditates on the eternal nature of God's love and says that this itself is the source of your joy or pain in eternity. That it is love that will be your reward and it is the scourge of love that will be the pain of those in hell because they are separating themselves from experiencing God's love and that is what really causes their pain and their torment. Because the, lo- the love of God is eternal. It endures forever. So we can't think of God's love ending at the time that those who have rejected Him are in hell. God doesn't come to a point and say, okay, I've loved you enough, and if you rejected me, so enough love for you. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. And, and, And that is so deep, to think that God's love is unchangeable unto eternity, that even those who have rejected Him here on earth will still be loved by him to eternity and, and that love itself will be what torments them because they have rejected something so beautiful and now they cannot communicate and participate in that love because of their rejection that will be their source of pain and torment and so the punishment is not that he throws someone in hell to burn and suffer the punishment is because now they have separated themselves from the source of love they have separated themselves from the source of life someone who has separated themselves from oxygen is going to suffocate and, and when when the oxygen is in your presence but you can't breathe it it's even more painful knowing that it's right there but you can't touch it so I, David says, where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I descend into the depth of hell, behold, you're there. He is there, everywhere. Regina.
1: So, theologically speaking, orthodox, um, I guess the belief system, so there is no hell where there's fire and brimstone and all that hell is the separation from God's love. Is that what you're saying?
0: Well, those... Those things are true, but we don't understand them as God is this vengeful, wrathful type of God that hates the person who has rejected him. So although those things are true, and, and heaven and hell are physical places because the body itself will resurrect. So we're not just going to be spirits floating around, the body itself, will, so there is a physical component so it would be a physical place if we're in a physical body there's got to be a physical place, right? can't be in a physical body but no physical place for the body to be in so all those things are true but we understand them differently we understand them in a sense that the fire, the brimstone, all those things are the experience of my, my incapability to experience His love The fire, the pain, the torture, is because I cannot experience his love. It's like somebody saying um, uh, that that whatever he did really hurts. It's burning up inside, and, and you know there's like a big fire inside because it's it's burning up and hurting or whatever. So we don't maybe.
1: So it's not literal. That's what you're saying.
0: Well, well, well there, there will be literal physical pain because we will be in the body. Okay. So it's not just limited to one thing or another, that's what I want to say. Okay. But we, we can all agree the internal pain is always worse than the physical pain. And so it's, it's to be understood holistically. I would not say that it's just a spiritual separation and spiritual pain nor would I say it's just physical pain but going back to the to the point of all this is that God's love is eternal God's love is eternal that's exactly what Christ came to reveal and it was so scandalous whenever he spoke about this when he talked about the parable of the prodigal son the Pharisees were scandalized. You know, they waited for the son to return and to be punished, to be even stoned to death, as Deuteronomy says. And Deuteronomy 21 says he should be stoned to death when he came back. But he throws a party for him. And says, this is absurd. How can God not be just? Justice has to be fulfilled. Like, no, God is merciful and just merciful and just and St. Isaac said that justice may be opposed by mercy because justice according to what should have happened to the son should have been death but while we are sinners God sent his son to die for us okay. Ephesians 3.17.19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's that's the type of love that should fill us, that is so profound that we cannot... Grasp the the width and the length and the depth and the height of his love. It's not this sort of superficial surface, like 2D type of love. It's like not even 3D, it's 4D. It's like it's deeper, wider, longer, higher than anything you can imagine. Okay? And he says, when you come to know that. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. When you know his love, you're filled with God. The fullness of God. So when you know his love, you're filled with his fullness. So in as much as we meditate on on what he says in verse nine, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him he says in this you know love in knowing that he was incarnate
3: hmm. um, one thing that I know is really profound in my understanding of like what it means to be a follower of Christ is that we think like you have to love God like our job is to love God love God and like it was such a mind shift for me when I heard somebody say you have to understand how much God loves you like mm-hmm. our problem isn't that we don't love God enough, like those of us who go astray, but it's that we don't know how much we are hmm. loved. That that's the missing piece for people. Mm-hmm. It's not I don't love God enough or you don't love God enough. It's like we don't recognize how loved we really hmm. are.
0: And I forget who it is that one of the saints I was just listening to a sermon by Bunaprullah Subrahim about this. And he says uh, a reflection on the levels of love that one of the saints was talking about. The first level is to to love our neighbor. The second level is to love our enemies. And the third level is to love God. That's when we love the God. But what's even greater than that is to love ourselves as God loves us, as God loves us. And yes, we do struggle to just have the willingness to be loved. Um, we have to just let God love us. And, and that's not as easy as just saying, all right, God, I'm going to let you love me. Well, no, but if you really do let God love you, you're going to let Him chastise you. You're going to let Him refine you. If you let God love you and you love yourself as He loves you, you're going to be willing to be guided by him uh, whatever direction he takes you it's easier said than done but we have to be loved by him now, one of the first people that comes to mind when I think of God as love and one of the first people that comes to mind when I think of modeling that love is Mother Teresa so I'm going to give you a a real quick couple of uh, bullet points on some things that have, have really shaped her life and I think we can um, benefit from so I'm going to just run through a couple of phrases that she mentioned very quickly okay? so forgive me if I fly by these but she says you can love all men perfectly if you love the one God in them all So the only way to love others is to love God in them. Intense love does not measure. It just gives. No measuring. Who deserves this? Who deserves that? How much do they get? How how much does he or she get? It just gives. Not all of us can do great things. But we can do small things with great love. How beautiful is that? So we can't really put God's love the greatness the vastness of God's love in everything as small as it may be God's love can fit into it. Spread love everywhere you go let no one ever come to you without being happier. Okay? So everyone who experiences God's love is transformed by it. Even if they're unwilling to accept it, it still radiates and it purifies the place. Okay? And finally, let us always meet each other with a smile, for a smile is the beginning of love. And I love that. It just changes my heart when, when I'm greeted by a smile. I, I can really experience God's love through all of these things. And the person who smiles, even if they're not Christian... A smile comes from God because He is the source of joy and if if He is the one that is radiating joy, then He is the one that is working in that person to just share a sweet smile or a quick thank you or
4: any kind gesture. Um, So in my mind the act of love has to have some sort of the emotion of love to it as well. So my question is whenever I do something that I kinda have to do for someone, but I don't really feel like very happy that I have to do this thing. But like the have to is not really a have it's coming from inside me. Like I feel like I have to do it. But sometimes I don't have to. I just do it because I feel like I have to. Yes. But I don't feel that I'm doing it lovingly. I just feel like it's like a burden. Yeah. So, like, is that considered love <laughs> still?
0: I have to tell you that mm, most often that is the greatest kind of love. Why? Because there's nothing emotional driving it. It's purely sacrificial. <clears throat> it's like coming to prayer whenever I have no motivation when it feels dry, and there's nothing exciting about it. Believe it or not, if you do pray at those times, it is purely out of obedience, and it is purely out of sacrifice. You're not getting crap out of it.
4: But and so, so if you're doing sorry. it, it means what? But my, like, I feel like God also wants us to feel this love towards Him. Not need, but want yes. Well, the, the, the grace comes in satisfying
0: us according to His own will. The grace comes on His terms. And the grace comes whenever He wants to reward us, to motivate us. And sometimes He says, it's time for you to refine the purity of your love. It's time for you to grow and continue to walk by faith even when there's no consolation or reward. It's time for you to move from baby food to solid food. And so sometimes he'll withdraw his grace and it's completely dry. But the moments you continue to walk forward while it's dry, you continue to love while it hurts. And Mother Teresa says, we have to love until it hurts. And if you're not loving while it hurts, then your love only comes out of a place of convenience. There's no real sacrifice. If it comes out of sacrifice, you're sure to know that it is pure and authentic. If it only comes whenever I feel a sense of satisfaction, you have to question your motives. Because it only means one of two things when it comes during the emotions and the joys. It means that it's fake or God's grace is just lifting you up. If, If the joy is there, I have to be careful. Is it God's grace really rewarding me? Or am I satisfying my own pride? Right? Am I just doing it because it feels good? Am I giving because of the attention? Because others see me serving. Others see me that. And I mean, this is a very common trial for servants. That they serve to just satisfy their own needs. And so I have to ask myself, am I doing it to satisfy myself? Or is this just God's grace coming to continue to motivate me to keep walking? But when there's no joy or consolation and I continue, I, I'm sure to know it's God's grace working in me to walk through the storm.
3: Listen, sometimes I think the feeling never comes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Like you still have to... Do- yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's sad
0: what's sad is we're a society built on the actions following the feelings c s Lewis has a very beautiful passage on this and it says, "Your feelings have to start following your actions if you're waiting for the feelings and the motivation to come in order for you to act you're never going to act if if you, if you're irritated with someone and I just don't feel like forgiving them i'm going to wait till i calm down and I really feel more loving and I feel like I'm finally okay with this person to forgive them well forget it you're never going to forgive them you forgive them and let your feelings follow and th- that's the type of society we live in today everything is based on feelings I've got to feel that it's right so I can do it no it's right just do it and your feelings will follow you know what's right sometimes you just got to use your head even if your heart's not in it like, I use this dumb example all the time, doing the dishes for my wife at home. Sometimes I don't feel like doing the dishes. I know it's right. My feelings aren't going into it. I, there's probably zero passion going into washing the dishes, but I know it's the right thing to do. So I do it, my feelings follow. Sometimes, like Claire, Claire said, they don't come. I finish the dishes like, oh, that was a drag. But whatever. I, 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 I receive the grace of obedience when there's no satisfaction. So, if God is love, mm-hmm. does that mean that love is God?
3: Is so that a three question? No, it's not. Love is of God.
0: Okay, elaborate.
3: Well, we, yeah, I think you guys discussed different types of love. Yes. Um, well, love
0: it in this same word as happy. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, love is a great thinking. No, no, I, I still. Did. I mean, Saint well, Augustine said that love is so great that it's called God, but he's not saying that it is God. Okay. He's what I'm saying. So God, like Clara is saying, is that love is like I don't know, love I don't know, like an attribute or a characteristic of God. As, very good. but God, but you can't say like love is God, then you're worshiping love,
0: you're not really worshiping God perfect, and that's why I wanted to pose that question in order to just throw that disclosure out there, because there are some people out there that do worship love, mm-hmm. that like peace to the world, uh, we just need to love everyone and uh, love is the center of our life and yes that's true but if you remember like the movement in the 70's and like the whole love movement like there are people that just took love as their god and that's where it becomes a little heretical, love is a reflection of god himself and where there is love there is god working but we do not worship the entity itself okay but so I think it's just important as a side note for us to keep in mind. Is there anything you wanted to add to no, I think Jack Just nail it. Just echo that. Okay. <laughs> he, he kind of left you hanging. He didn't go on up there. <laughs> Hashtag Jack for no. a <laughs> bullet. <laughs> and then and then the second one was terrible timing. He left you hanging on the second one and then. <laughs> one oh, <boy. laughs> All right. Let's read from verse 12 to 16. Oh, the question. Yes. Sorry. So,
1: was this a comment? I remember Steve had made a comment a few weeks ago about um, how some people can do good things, but they're not righteous things. So, hmm. kind of. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it goes in line that people can still love, but it's not necessarily righteous. Even though yes. love is from God, but it could not righteous love or righteous acts? Is there still yes. that
0: distinction? Well, mm-hmm. remember we always want every virtue to be guided by wisdom. Okay. and And wisdom is the Holy Spirit Himself. Mm-hmm. So, love can, can enable the wrong. Like, every mother out there knows there is a wrong way to love your child. And whenever he's stepping out of line, Clara will be the first to tell you, if you're
3: like... Not in grandma. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, that's the problem with grandmas, that they're like too loving sometimes. <laughs> and then you kinda let of let them get away with everything. I love you, it's okay. You can't just always say, I love you, it's okay. So there are four moms here. <laughs> and every one of them will tell you the same thing. There's a right and a wrong way to love. And it's only wisdom that guides that love. Sorry, there's only one dad. <laughs> I'm a father, but spiritually, I'm not. I don't count. <laughs> no,
4: it's, I think I think it applies to. But that was my question. Doesn't it also apply to all relationships, uh, whether it's a friendship or a relationship, or like, if if you're close with someone and that person is veering off and you care about them you would want to say something right?
0: well, well that's why everything in our life is guided through wisdom otherwise it it has, is it's at the risk of harming us uh, obedience same thing humility same thing I mean I don't want to tangent too much and give an example of where every virtue can be Uh, Used in the right or wrong way, but if you think about every single virtue, they could be used in the right or wrong way.
3: Hmm. I was just gonna mention this idea of like righteous love versus like like an act of love. Like I always Mm -hmm. like to think of it like things that are temporary, things that are eternal and heavenly. So there could be an act of love that just kind of like stays here on earth, and like that's all the effect that there is to it. But then there's a godly and a righteous type of love, or an act of love that's eternal. Like its consequences are beyond mm. just the here and now, and it's an eternal act and a gift and a sacrifice, whatever it is. So mm. I like to think of like the temporary versus the eternal.
0: Well, well, I would also just add to that that the the issue is when those. Uh, those acts of love have a hint of hypocrisy or selfishness. Um, Love always has an eternal effect, even if we don't see an effect lasting the next day. So I wouldn't say temporary in the sense of uh, lacking,
3: no I meant more of like the internal effect of like so like if you give to like uh, if you go to an orphanage and you're giving because it's convenient and you think it's just the right thing to do Mm. and like here's your your extra little money for your little Mm. photo shoot or whatever and then that's it like that's all it is it's just this temporary to satisfy yourself yeah it's just this temporary thing that just stays here on earth and then there's somebody that gives an act of love with their time or their energy or their resources and it's and it's like a yes. product of their heart and that's eternal both for the people that are experiencing it and you yourself if anything good comes out of the money in the first situation it's the grace of God it's not yes. because I yes. like out of my own and, so and I, that's my, some of my distinction.
0: I just wanted to clarify because a lot of times we think that something is small and is not going to uh, have a long term effect we may discredit the act because it's so small like I go to a homeless guy and I give him a bottle of water anyone may criticize that action and say well they're going to be thirsty tomorrow, like you're not fixing their problem, Take why don't you take them to a shelter, why don't you do something that's really going to be worthwhile and so a lot of times we may discredit those little small acts of love um, on uh, on account of really just complicating the situation so I think the issue is like what you said when it becomes selfish and something is just so um, selfish that it's just to satisfy myself but those little things that we do can't really go a long way the quote from Mother Teresa is that none of us not all of us can do great things but all of us can do small things with great love that's, that's always something that really is home for me so before we move on mm-hmm.
2: um, we were talking about we were talking a little bit earlier about like doing something you're not really feeling it or, then the, or self like satisfaction with mm. what you've accomplished blah 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 um, is it wrong to be satisfied with something that you've done? Um, or is it... Like, you could look back and be like, oh, this was actually really cool. Mm. Or this was actually, like... Like, this was successful. <laughs> or whatever, the, whatever the case may be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not no. a good service. This, yeah, whatever the case may be, that's what I mean. Like, uh, is it wrong to feel satisfied by that? Or I'm sure there's a fine line, like, if you're taking glory for yourself, it is, and if you're giving glory to God, it's not. So what it like what's the right way to think about it
0: what do you guys think
4: i think it's a if it's coming from a good place it's probably just a byproduct of what you just did it's not bad in that case but if it's coming from a place of pride then then it becomes like it's up to you to determine where it's really coming from if you're honest with yourself Mm. but i think it's a byproduct if it's coming from a good place very good and you also answered
0: the question in the last part of your question. That fine line that you said. Yeah. Because there is there is a fine line and we have to always remember that it is up to God what He reveals to us. And it is on His terms whether He reveals to us the success that came from this service or to hide from us the success that happens. Sometimes a service may be successful, but God wants to protect me from that pride. And, and, and out of His grace, He knows I'm not ready to, to handle all of that success with humility. And so, He'll protect me. Sometimes that success will be right in front of my eyes, and when it's right in front of my eyes that's where I have to be careful and, and just, just like um, Saint Paul would say whether it was me or Apollo he watered, I planted, God gave the increase and so we always have to accredit the increase to God um, and and never to seek it never to seek it and never to depend on it and if going back to what I've just said a few minutes ago if I know it is up to God whether he's going to reveal the success to me or not then I never depend on it because I know he may or may not show me the success so I keep working whether I see success or not a lot of people get really discouraged when they don't see success especially for servants like A lot of services are very tough, and you're dealing with cases. I, myself, am a prime example, because I was one of the worst cases servants worked on my whole life. People in Pittsburgh have no idea where I am now, but all the seeds they planted throughout my junior high, high school years were a part of my transformation. And they have no idea what became of me. And if they really depended on seeing the results in the person they served, they would have given up years ago. Um, You may be serving someone and you don't see results. And you will very easily give up if you depend on the results.
3: But I think that's different from the joy though that like you experience in knowing that like you're serving in the, well, well, the joy, of the the joy, may, God is the joy
0: may, may not come the joy again as I, I want not to Not the joy
3: of the fruit of your labor but in the joy of knowing that you are where God is calling you to be and to do what God is calling you to do
0: But even that is a gift the joy of, of, of surrendering to him comes as a gift. So there are a lot of saints that are by divine intervention deprived of joy. Because God is continuing to refine us. So at times we have to understand those dry moments as God is not forsaking me. Because there are a lot of faithful people that just go through dry spells. Like we've all gone through dry moments. And it's not because of our sinfulness that we may be at a, at a moment that lacks joy. We may be faithful and working, and the joy is not there. And, and it's not because of our sinfulness. That's whenever we have to pause and pray and offer our repentance and really dig a little bit deeper. But God is a lot of times working in those moments, um, a lot of times it it may not be because of us, but God working in us. Does that make sense?
3: Well, I, yeah, I get that, but that has to just be a moment because that can't be your whole experience and how you serve or how you experience God. No, it's phases. Yeah, it's phases. But, a a the, but
0: those phases can last. It's phases. So if. So Abunameta talks about this. He calls it spiritual rigidity in, in the end of Orthodox prayer life. So he says the the saints would experience these moments as if flipping a page in the Bible is like lifting lead, like a block of lead, and they couldn't even take a step forward. Everything is so dry, and it lasts for days and days and days, and that's whenever their faith is tested and I, I i don't want to say this is how your life will be but for every christian who is going to be refined will experience ups and downs and sometimes those downs can last and if we're not if we're not prepared to meet those downs and if we think they're going to come for just a day or two and just disappear, we're fooling ourselves. So we got to be prepared and have faith that those moments of joyness can last. And so if I continue to work, joy comes, I glorify Him. Joy doesn't come, I glorify Him still. Hmm.
1: I kind of understood what Jack was saying um, in a way that I see it as being proud but not prideful so like if you do something and you do see success, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with being proud of an accomplishment but not being prideful where you're full of yourself because of
0: it sure, it's just very tricky because the beginning of pride is feeling proud Mm. and so I have to be very careful I can be proud of the results of the service, and the very first thing that Christ told the apostles whenever they came back after He sent them out two by two to heal the sick and to cast out demons is what. Remember, they came back celebrating. He
3: said, Don't
0: rejoice in this that, that your names Before wait. that, before that, go verse before that. They come back excited. We, like, there were a lot of good results out of the service we did. They're excited. said, chill out. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And don't rejoice in, in, in what you've done. So it's like, bro, you're trying to rain on our parade? What do you want? like? We're happy. Like, a lot of good things happen. He's like, you're, you're never... At more dangerous in your entire life than you are now. That's what he said. That's what the implication is. Because why would he mention the fall of the greatest archangel? Whenever they come back and they're excited, and he says, Lucifer himself fell. And he was more powerful than all of you combined. So don't think that you're going to overcome all of these temptations of pride if you dwell on them so be careful that's why he mentioned the fall of Satan whenever they came back rejoicing not to say that their joy is a problem we should have joy but what I'm trying to say is we have to be very careful because he mentioned that for them to stay on guard that's the very first thing he told them the very first thing you told them after they were joyful, after their success, is don't dwell on the success because it could lead you to pride and the fall the same way same felt. Not to dwell
1: on it, but to experience it for that
0: moment and then release well, always giving yes, you that glory. Yes, yes, well, I'm not, the, the length of time isn't the issue, okay. it's because pride can come in an instant. Or it could come after dwelling on it for days. But it's your mindset during that period. So he said, right now you're at a very vulnerable period. You're excited and you're joyful and you just saw all of these amazing things. It's natural that you're going to be tempted with pride. But so that's the You're going to be tempted with pride. Satan fell from heaven, and he was greater than all of you guys. So but be careful. If, but if you
1: never celebrate anything, then you haven't. You know, you're likely to fall into depression if you never Well, celebrate.
0: well, will celebrate, okay. celebrate, okay. cautiously. Okay.
2: Celebrate <laughs> responsibly. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I think it's what you do with that proud moment. Like if you're on a megaphone or if you take that pro like that feeling of being proud, not pride <laughs> and you share that with God or a loved one or your husband or wife or a close friend, like there is something about experiencing the joy of God working in and through you. Like I'm I'm very weary of like hmm. painting a very dry, sad I, well, landscape. I, I don't forward. even think
0: I don't even think it's a matter of who you share it with it's your internal condition yeah. that's yeah. why I said when you give do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing sure. what so, so what does that mean like no one can see what's in your left hand as much as no one can see what's in your right hand so what's it matter it, it's because he doesn't want you to be aware of your own charity oh, okay. don't let your right hand your right hand is like your own strength don't let yourself dwell on what you're doing don't, don't even know it. Forget about what you're doing. So don't let your own right hand know what you're... So, even if I share the, the glorious works of God, that's fine. Because I can be silent about the success of the service that I just did, but deep down inside I'm gloating. And there is pride. But I could share it with humility. Like, how how amazing is God? Like... like these people really benefited from this and God is good and like we're excited that's fine yeah. and, and I, I, yeah. I, I want to echo what Clara said I don't want to paint a dark picture but at the same time there's nothing more dangerous at, than those moments and we just have to be careful and, and those were the very first words that came out of Christ's mouth so whenever we talk about it those have to be the very first words that come out of our mouths too So, yes, rejoice responsibly. (laughs) And on that note, glory be to God forever. Amen. Take take five to meditate on everything we discussed. And uh, forgive me, I think, uh, maybe next week we'll (laughs) we'll get to
4: the rest of chapter four. Glad nothing has changed. (laughs) The last time I've been to... uh, to a Bible study, was with
3: Abuna Daniel like what three, four months ago more than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're still in the same chapter. Yeah. we changed priests.
0: It's good. It's good because the, the conversations and the discussions are what give our growth more life. So, I I love having the discussions. And so, uh, at what point do you really finish studying the scriptures and so? It's an infinite process. So, as you see up there, take five.